Lord, thank you so much for your words. Thank you for the Bible. It's the world's all-time bestseller. It's revolutionary. As we look at it today, we ask you to speak to us, enlighten us, and help us to grow from some of these things we've looked at today. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a married couple who had a terrible accident where the woman's face was severely burned. The doctor told her, told her husband that they couldn't graft any skin from another part of her body because she was so slim. However, if he was willing to donate some skin, that would really help her. And he agreed. He said, whatever the sacrifice, I will do that. The only part of his body that was appropriate was his buttocks. So they removed some skin from his buttocks for his wife's face. Now, they agreed with the doctor beforehand, please do not tell anyone what we're doing here because this is, this is highly sensitive and we don't want to let anyone know just for embarrassment's sake. They went through with the skin graft and it, it took. And, you know, in fact, she even looked more beautiful than she did before the accident. Many of her friends commented, your skin is so, so smooth and so nice. You, you have recovered so well. This is incredible. One day she was overcome with emotion and she said to her husband, Dear, my darling, I, th- I don't know how I can repay you for your sacrifice and for helping me. I- I've made full recovery. I feel so great. Thank you so much. And he said, My darling, think nothing of it. I get all the thanks I need when I see your mother kiss you on the cheek. We admire people who make sacrifices. We really do. And this passage of Scripture is all about people making sacrifice. Sacrificial living is actually a positive thing rather than a negative thing. In Mark 1 and verse 14 to 20, we read this. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. That just basically means change the way you think, leave your old life and start a new life. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they'd gone a little further, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired men and followed them. You picture the scene. Here's a 30-year-old Jew out for a walk beside a lake, and he calls people to leave everything and follow him, and they do. He's a nobody. He's got no reputation. At this point, they hadn't seen him perform a miracle. And yet they were willing to leave everything and follow him. He never wrote any songs or wrote any books. He never held a political office. He never traveled any more than 200 miles away from his hometown. He was a nobody as far as our world is concerned. He wasn't born into royalty. He wasn't educated in the same way that the religious leaders of his day were. Yet they were willing to leave everything and follow him. Soren Kindergart, the Danish philosopher, tells a story trying to illustrate what was going on here about how God is interested in human beings. He told a story about a mighty king who was powerful, rich, strong, and wise. He ruled over his kingdom. Many of the women of the kingdom wanted to marry him, specifically to enjoy the life that he would offer them and enjoy the power and the wealth and all the things that came with it. He wanted true love. 
He wasn't wanting someone who married him just for what they could get out of the situation. So what he did was, one day he was out for a walk, looking around his kingdom, looking at his agriculture, looking at his livestock, looking at some of his businesses, looking at all the various things that he owned and was responsible for. And one day in the field he noticed a beautiful peasant girl that he wanted to get to know. So he went back to his palace, he put on peasant's clothes, he went and he got himself signed on as a worker in that field and assigned to work beside this lady. He worked beside this lady for many months. He got to know her. He didn't disclose at one moment who he was or his royalty. He humbled himself, he lived like a peasant, and he took the time to get to know her. After getting to know each other, he fell in love with her and she fell in love with him. He proposed, she said yes. On the wedding day, she dressed in her, in her meager garment. It was, uh, when I say meager, it wasn't, she, she just couldn't afford much. She had cheap flowers, a cheap dress. She turned up at the, the wedding and there he was with a crown on his head, royalty. She suddenly realized that the king had loved her. They got married. After they were married, she said to him, why didn't you tell me you were the king? He said, if I were to tell you I was the king, I would never have known if you would love me for who I was or simply because I was the king. When these people saw this man, Jesus, at the sides of a lake, they saw more than just a man. They saw the love of God shining from him. They saw something of heaven on earth. Because he was, as far as we're concerned, he was a nobody. He was uneducated. He didn't look especially abnormal. He just looked like a normal bloke. Yet there was something in him that drew people to him. This motivated these people to make a commitment. I believe that Jesus wasn't just a man. I believe this is God turning up in human flesh. That's the incredible claim of Christianity. You see, the emphasis of religion is man's attempt to get to God. Do A, B, C, and D. If your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you might make it. However, the incredible message that, we, that has motivated us is that God in heaven came to us. He took the initiative. Isn't that amazing? And when Jesus was born, he was, the Bible declared his name, Emmanuel, God with us. I believe that Jesus was no ordinary man. I believe he was fully man and fully God. And what they saw there was divine. And they were drawn to make a commitment incredibly to this person, Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20 describes this, this divinity of Christ. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See, this was God reaching into humanity, not just standing aloof because of our sin, but coming and getting his sleeves rolled up and getting involved in our humanity and trying to do something to help us. And at the end of it all, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Not one of us can claim not to be a sinner. We're all guilty. And sin was paid for. And that's the good news. You can be forgiven because God took the initiative. That's great news. There was a very wealthy baron, Baron Fitzgerald. He and his wife found it hard to have children. Eventually, they managed in their old age to have a boy and no others. He was their only child. They were very wealthy. They doted on this child. They loved him. They spoiled him. Sadly and tragically, when the child was in his early teens, the mother died. 
even more tragically, when the, the child was in his late teens, he died as well, leaving Baron Fitzgerald all by himself with his wealth, greatly heartbroken. He spent a lot of his wealth on paintings and some of the great masters' works that were around in this time. When he died, his work was auctioned. And before the auction was started, you can imagine the people who were there. They were some of the great collectors from all over the world who were there to, for the possibility of purchasing one of these great masters' works. And there they were before the auction, and the, the lawyer stood up and read from Baron Fitzgerald's will before the auction proceeded. They said this, before the bidding began, the attorney read the, the will, and that instructed that the first painting to be auctioned was to be the painting of my beloved son. And it was a painting not like all the, all the other paintings. It was, to be honest, as far as skill was concerned, it wasn't a very skillfully painted picture. It was painted by a local artist. And it was of Baron Fitzgerald's son that he loved and was devoted to. The bidding proceeded. No one was interested. They were there for the great pictures. Apart from one guy. And this was one of the household servants who had grown up, who knew the son, and who had served in that family, and who had loved that family. He thought he wouldn't be in for a chance, but no one else was bidding. He bid. He didn't have much money, and for only a few pounds, he purchased this painting of my beloved son, Baron Fitzgerald's son. Then before the rest of the auction proceeded, the attorney stood up again and read the concluding part of his will. And the will concluded by saying, whoever buys the painting of my son gets all my art collection. <laughs> the auction is over. You see, the Bible says, he who has the son has life. If you want heaven, look at Jesus. If you want the resource and the forgiveness of heaven, you want a new life, look at Jesus. It's incredible God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Jesus. I can only try and put this in words. All I know is this works and this changes lives. Jesus sums up who God is, what God's like. You see, the great thing is when Jesus turned up, the mystery about God was over. You want to know what God thinks about injustice? Look at how Jesus dealt with injustice. You want to know what God thinks about the sinners? Look at how Jesus befriended the sinners. You want to know what God thinks about sickness? Look at how Jesus healed the sick without exception. God manifest in the flesh. This drew people to Jesus. The other thing we see is that Jesus alone deserves our allegiance. It says in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus often talked about this thing called the kingdom of God. He was saying the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God, that's the rule and authority of God. A king rules over a kingdom. And why was Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near? I'll tell you why. Because he was the king and he had turned up. So it wasn't just that in a general sense the kingdom of God was near. It was that the king had arrived. That's why the kingdom of God was near. Standing before Pilate at the end of his life, Pilate says, is it true you were a king? And he says, for that cause I was born. For that reason I've come into the world. That's what they hung over his head as he died on the cross. King of the Jews. I believe Jesus was born as king. Not a king as the Jews expected. The Jews expected a warrior who was going to defeat the Roman Empire and lead them into battle and conquer. God had a bigger plan. That's not really God's way. God's way is to not just deal with the external circumstances that oppress us, but to deal with the issues of the heart. And that's where the real issue is. Sin. 
the things that pull us back. The suffering and the cruelty and the, the lack of peace in our world isn't because of wars and people's inhumanity to each other. It goes deeper than that. It goes right down to the core of who we are and it's sin at the beginning. And that's the very thing that's put this world off its axis. And Jesus came to deal with that sin. He came as king to rule over people's hearts. Not to rule over a geographical part of the world. So when he was saying the kingdom of God is near, he was talking about himself being the king coming for a kingdom. So are we willing to submit to this king Jesus? Interestingly, when Jesus was on earth, he didn't go around saying, I'm the king, by the way. I'm the king. I'm God. Follow me. He didn't do that. God isn't an egotist. He came quietly and gently and meekly and associated with everyone. Isn't that amazing? That speaks to me of God's kind of way of doing things. But one day will come, the Bible says, where Jesus will return. And he won't come in some hidden way. He will come and it will be clear who he is. In Revelation, at the end of the the Bible, we see an awesome picture and description of Jesus. Revelation is a book full of you know, dramatic and symbolic words. But here's the picture Revelation gives us in nine, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. When I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it was called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a rain written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's the sacrifice that he made for us, folks. And his name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, and white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. To be honest, no one else really deserves your allegiance. Human beings, we were created to serve the God who made us. Isn't it ironic that many of us live like he ain't even there? God Almighty cares for you. He wants to be the king in your life. Being part of the United Kingdom brings with it responsibilities. We've got to obey the laws pay our taxes, and benefits. You know, there are many benefits to be part of the United Kingdom. Same with the kingdom of God. We can't come under his authority. We're saying, I'm allowing you to be the king in my life. Unlike a dictator, he doesn't force his rule over anyone. He doesn't impose his discipline. He doesn't impose his leadership. But he looks for people who will willingly say, I make you the Lord of my life. I allow you to be king. Jesus truly is the king, and he motivates commitment. James Stout. Are you here today, James? Hey, Jimbo, good to see you. You're right out the back there. Is that Rangers top you've got on the man? That's unlike you. That's not like you. James, when he was a kid, he was telling me this is how he became a Christian. Uh, as a four-year-old, he had a... You remember anyone watched Dukes of Hazard? Come on, admit it. Who watched the Dukes of Hazard? Ah, great. You know, remember that? It was terrific. Now, they had the, the car, the General Lee. Remember the General Lee? I remember that. That was my role model car. That was the car I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, it had the stars and stripes in the roof. It was an amazing car. Anyway, James had a uh, General Lee car, age four. And uh, James' dad's a minister. 
and he, he'd heard about Jesus and he'd, he'd believed in Jesus and he believed that Jesus was king and he came to his mum one day and said, Mum, I want to give Jesus something really special. I want to give Jesus my General Lee car. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Wow. You like, man. You're incredible. He was willing to give Jesus a General Lee car. His mum turned to him and said, to be honest, James, I don't think Jesus has much use for a, a toy General Lee car. However, he could do with your life. And James said, done deal, right. I'll give him my life instead. And James gave his life to the Lord. And he's never been the same since. And he's still got his General Lee car. Still play. In fact, have you got it up the back there, James? You got it down at your feet, don't you? Yeah, when the sermon gets boring, every so often you see him. But you know, there's something about Jesus. He just deserves our allegiance. We try and we give our lives to all sorts of stuff. You know, we become slaves to making a living. That's just nonsense. You weren't created to survive. You were created to thrive and live a great life under God. You weren't created to just pay the bills. And why become a slave of just making more money? Money can come and go. There's no problem with money. But don't become its slave. Don't become your, your job slave. Or don't become a person who lives for pleasure. All these things undermine who you are. You're a child of God. You were created to live for the king of glory. That's royalty. That's great. That's what you're designed to live for. Many people have kind of changed the focus of their devotion. Some people started out devoted to Jesus, but now they're devoted to their church denomination. Some people are devoted to their beliefs. You know, they stand for all their beliefs, but when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't move them to tears anymore. He doesn't give them that flutter in the heart that they used to feel. There's something missing. You see, it's like getting married and forgetting the whole reason you got married. The reason you got married is because you fell in love and you love that babe that you married. But now what's happened is you just got caught up in the nitty gritty of life and you're you just kind of, well, it's, it's comfortable and it's nice to come home and, and be together. And you know, you've missed the whole point. It's all about love. It's all about love. Keep that your focus of your attention. Don't get devoted to religion or church going or Bible believing. All that stuff is important and good and well, but tell you, you've missed it all if you've forgotten who it's all about. It's all about King Jesus. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus brings this challenge to a church that forgot that it was all about him. He said in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. You cannot bear those who are evil, and you've tested those who claim, call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. I know you've endured patiently and bear up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. This was a good church in many respects. They were a persevering church. As you look in your Bible, you'll find they were very accurate theologically. They had everything tickety-boo. They ticked all the boxes. But the bottom line was, folks, he said this, but I have this against you, Jesus said. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. In other words, get back to that wholehearted devotion to Jesus. He alone deserves your devotion. Give yourself back to him. If you've changed your devotion onto secondary issues, remember what it's all about. It's all about the king. It's all about him. The next thing I want to say is that Jesus asks for total commitment. He doesn't ask you for your Sunday. He asks you for your life. Mark 1, 17 to 20. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired men, and they followed him. Wow. Do you put your ambitions above Jesus? Or are you willing to leave everything and follow him? 
you know, the amazing thing is many people think that you become a Christian, you lose out, you can't do certain things. I used to think that I, would, I was dragged to church, I didn't want to go there. One of the reasons that it took me so long to become a Christian, my mum and dad taught me about God, I believed that God was there, but one of the reasons that held me back for so long was I just thought, well, Christianity is boring. It just means I won't be able to do certain things that I think are fun just now. And I, w- I was a lad. I wanted to do my thing. I wanted to live it up. But at the bottom line was this. I thought Christianity was a negative. It was a takeaway. It was a minus. I want to say the incredible thing is Christianity is a plus. It's a cross. It adds to your life. It enhances you like you've never been enhanced before. And yes, there's a commitment. Of course there is. Nothing great comes free. But I came to a point as a 15-year-old where I made a decision. I'm going to stop living my old way. I'm going to turn from old ways. That's called repentance. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. The key thing was this, folks. I thought, in my mind, I was thinking this is going to be a sacrificial life. You know, you almost think, well, if I give God my life, he's, going to, he's definitely going to call me to go to Africa or, or some Antarctica or somewhere completely the opposite side of the world that I don't want to go to and he's going to call me there, guaranteed I'm going to be a missionary or a monk or something like that. And we've got all these silly preconceptions that hold us back and the preconceptions aren't even in the Bible. I remember one of the things, there's tons of stuff in my life, I gave up lots of things and I wondered what I was going to do with my weekends after becoming a Christian. Because I thought, well, weekends are going to be boring now. But you know what? I can honestly say this, that my life took on a whole new sense of meaning. I had a purpose. At weekends, I had, I had an exciting time. I got involved with all sorts of things. And I was, wasn't just living for pleasure and for stuff. I was now living for a great purpose. And boy, you could go to sleep at night with a clear conscience. And what a difference it made. And I want to encourage you. Jesus asked you for complete commitment. But that's just a small price to pay for what you get back in return. David Pawson put it this way, the gospel is free, but its annual subscription is everything. Mark 8, Jesus puts this kind of challenge for commitment in a different way. He says in verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? There's an absolute calling to commitment that Jesus is asking for. He's not just asking you to become a believer in a religion. He's not just asking you for a, for a bit of your time every so often on a Sunday and you pay your offerings in the bag and you sing some songs and that's you now a Christian. He's asking for your entire life. And I'm not going to water that down. He absolutely is. And if I watered it down, I'd be doing you out of the best deal you could ever get into. Because this is the ultimate. This is the best. Jesus, he said, if, you, if you're going to come after me, you must pick up your cross and follow me. What was he saying? Because in those days, he was talking about a means of execution. It's like him saying today, if you want to follow me, take a gun to your head and pull the trigger. He was basically saying, you've got to be willing to let go of all your old life and throw yourself into following me. Gone the old, bring on the new. You know, that's pretty radical, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's quite a big commitment. But you know, we're, we're talking about life here? We're talking about eternal life. Jesus said, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? This is so worth it. Man, if you weigh it up and take an eternal view of things, it's absolutely reasonable for you to give your life to the God who made you and serve him every day from now until you see him face to face. 
That's reasonable. That's reasonable. It doesn't mean that you've got to, right, as it, take all the money out, give it to the poor. It doesn't mean that. For some of you it might, and I've got friends who have done that. It doesn't mean that, well, I can't have fun anymore or drop my hobbies. No, no. God has no problem yet. God's not going to change your personality. He's not going to make you weird. He's not going to make you flaky. He's not going to make, cause you to wear, carry a big Bible, right? He's not going to make you kind of strange. You don't have to wear a fish in the back of your car, right? You don't have to. It's not, it's not an essential. He's looking for your heart, not for externalism. He's looking for a changed life on the inside. That's the key issue. And that's powerful. In the communist Russia, way back when the communists were clamping down on Christianity, one day at a church service, two policemen turned up at the church service with guns. And they said, anyone not willing to die for their faith, leave this building now. 40% of the people left. 60% stayed. They put their guns down and got their Bibles out and said, great, now we can fellowship with true believers. Let's go. <laughs> the 40% who returned next week would have come back with their tails between their legs. Jim Elliot, the famous missionary who wrote Under the Shadow of the Almighty, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's wisdom. You're in a trapeze, yeah? You know what it's like, yeah? You've all, you've all, you've all done that, yeah? Trapeze? All right, in the leotards and all the deal. All right, here we go. On the trapeze. I remember what it's like in the old circus days. On the trapeze. Up in the sky. Da, 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 up in the sky. On the trapeze. And you know what you're going to do? As you're swinging through the air in your leotard, you know what you're going to do? Is you're swinging from one swing. You've got to grab hold of the next swing, yeah? To get to the other side. What you're going to do is you can't just kind of go. <laughs> For those listening to MP3s, I was reaching for the other swing. You can't, you've got to throw yourself. What you've got to do is you've got to go. You've got to swing and you've got to let go of that old swing and you've got to grasp hold of that new swing and you've got to land on the other side. You've got to do it. And you know there's got to be an absoluteness to it. There's got to be a, I let go and I grab holes. Wow. Leave your old life. Pursue him. You know that commitment makes ordinary people into extraordinary people? These disciples were the first four that Jesus called. He went on to call others. And many of us are in this room. But they became world changers. They changed the known world of their day. And all the circumstances were adverse to them doing so. Yet they did it. Mark 1, 16 and 19. And Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. He'd gone a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, with a funny dad's name, and his brother John in the boats, preparing their nets. Ordinary people. Just blokes. Just getting on with their job. They were just workers. They were working class people. They just got on with their job. They were working. They were making a living. They weren't in a theological seminary sorry, cemetery. They weren't seeking God. They weren't on pilgrimage. They were just getting on with their job. Ordinary people. And Jesus has not ceased to call ordinary people. And he takes ordinary people and through their commitment, they become extraordinary people. Each one of these guys went on to make a big difference. Peter, from the start, he had a phenomenal name. Second thing that was incredible about Peter was that, really, as a fellow Peter down in the second row here, we have, we have an incredible name. We really do. We're honours. The apostle Peter... He was responsible for birthing the new church in Jerusalem. 
the first church ever. Peter stood up. In fact, it's the first time Bible ever mentions cricket. It says Peter stood up with the eleven and was bold. Honestly, it does. In the book of Acts, chapter 2. Peter stood up with the eleven and was bold. Honestly, I tell you, you get such depth in this church. You really do. Stuff that you would never think of. It's just kind of out the Bible. Right it comes. Right in there. Changes you, man. Peter, that's right. Peter, he stood up and he, started, he initiated the early church. What a guy. He was the guy who went to the temple one day. And the guy who was begging, and he, said, he was begging for arms, the Bible says, and God gave him legs. He was begging for arms, and, and he was crippled. And Peter reached down and he said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have give I you in the name. Who knows that song? Oh, come on, I want some singers here. Anyone know that song? Let's go. One, two, three. Silver and gold have I none. Come on, I'm not going to do a solo. I need your help. One, two, three. With passion and gusto. Let's go. Silver and gold have I Come on, come on, singers. <laughs> passion. No, no, no. What part of the word passion do you understand here? We're talking, come on, like you're at a football match, right? Ready? One, two, three. Silver and gold have I not, such as I have given by you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. He did. He grabbed him by the hands. The apostle Peter raised him up. And you know what? God gave him legs back. Isn't that phenomenal? Jesus worked through that guy, Peter. He went from being an ordinary fisherman to seeing great things happen. The apostle Peter was the first apostle to bring the, this good news about Jesus to non-Jewish people. And that was, in that day, that was a major thing. That was a, that was a religious total mindset. The apostle Peter was responsible for that. And thank God for that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Peter was, went on to be martyred. They hung him upside down on a cross. He, didn't, he wasn't willing to be crucified the same way Jesus was because he, he didn't see himself worthy of that. And Peter was hung upside down on the crucifix. The apostle Peter, what a guy. Sacrificial, made a massive impact in the known world at that time. Massive. Some people say, well, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? The disciples not just make that up. Did they not just make up this rumor to keep the religion alive? Listen, People aren't usually willing even to die for the truth, let alone a lie. Do you think they had the emotional energy, having seen their life and dreams go down the tubes when Jesus was crucified? Do you think they would have the emotional energy to make up a lie like that? And then to go on and preach that lie against intense persecution from Romans and Jews. And then even to go to the extent of dying themselves as martyrs. All but one of the 12 disciples died as martyrs for their faith. Do you think they would have died for a lie? I don't think so. They were so motivated. They changed the known world of their day. Andrew, he went and preached the good news about Jesus in Romania and Bulgaria. Went to many Asian nations. He made a big impact in the known world. In Turkey, he was arrested. And he was taken to be crucified as well. He died as a martyr by crucifixion. His cross was laid on its side, from which we get the St. Andrew's cross. You see that in the flag of Scotland. That was why, because the, his cross was placed at an angle. Again, he didn't see himself worthy to die in the same way Jesus died. James the Apostle, this fisherman that Jesus met on the side of the loch, James went and preached as far as Spain, made a massive impact. I mean, we're saying Spain, you think, easy jet, no problem. In those days, he had to go by foot. It was, it was a hard, long road, and they would walk it, and they would share the good news and make a difference. These guys live radical lives, seeing miracles, they weren't unfulfilled. They were fulfilled. They had purpose. 
They made a massive difference. You look at all the aid organizations, you look at all the, the orphanages, you look at even the NHS and the education system here that came from Christian roots. Why are they there? Because some guys paid a big price with their lives because they were motivated to make a difference. Commitment takes ordinary people into an extraordinary plane. The apostle James, he was arrested by Herod and he was sentenced to be put to death by beheading. At the day when he was going to be beheaded, he was absolutely at peace. He was absolutely at peace. He, had no, he was not wondering. He was not swithering. He was not between two opinions. He, wasn't, he was just absolutely resolved. He was at peace completely. And the guy who was going to, the executioner who was going to take him out to behead him was so deeply convicted and moved by this man James' absolute conviction and resolve is that before the execution took place, he got on his knees and said, James, I want to accept Jesus too. I see the difference it's made in your life. And the executioner and James were martyred together. These guys made a difference. The apostle John, he was the only apostle not to be martyred at death. John worked mostly in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. He, he started many churches, including Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira. He wrote th- five books in the Bible, the John's Gospel the three epistles of John and the book of Revelation. He was arrested in Turkey and he was taken to be executed in Rome. This is an account of, an early account of what they believed happens. And this is an accurate account that he was thrown into a pot of boiling oil to try and martyr him, but by a miracle of God, he survived. Now that would have to take a miracle. You can believe that if you want. I believe it. They threw him in a pot of boiling oil to kill him as a martyr. When they realized they couldn't do this, emperor domination released him and sent him on exile to Patmos and it was there that Jesus gave him the revelation which we have in the end of our Bible we admire their achievements but folks you want to live a great life you want to live a meaningful life you want to impact this world I tell you this world with all its comforts needs colossal impact there are many hurting isolated people on our doorsteps and beyonds and how is it going to change it's going to change through us We like the idea of being influencers. We like the idea of being great and making a difference. But do we like the beginning? The beginning when you see the fishermen leaving everything, throw their all in for this Jesus. Because nothing great comes free. You've got to realize there's a beginning to that greatness, and that beginning comes with massive commitment. What a great people. We've got great friends in this church. Peter Pretorius, former tobacco farmer. You've heard him preach here. He had everything. He was set to retire at 40. He had everything life could offer. And yet through a whole set of circumstances, he came to have faith in Jesus. He laid it all aside, and today he's feeding, clothing, and educating nearly half a million kids in Africa. That's where our money went last year to make a difference in Africa. Has an orphanage in Rwanda with some 800 kids, and they're fostering out children, Tutsi and Hitu kids. They don't talk about their tribes. Making a difference. How did that begin? He made a commitment. Ivan Squilino, one of our dear friends, based in our Glasgow church, on staff, He's started 20 churches now in India. He's got an orphanage in India. He's about to start a widow's home to look after the tribal widows. Tribal widows get murdered in India without people even knowing. And he's taking up the cause of these people who can't take up their own cause. Making a big difference. We like the idea of making a difference. But are you willing to make the commitment that Ivan made? Commitment to follow Jesus, no strings attached. Not just become religious, not just to come to church. But to make a commitment to Jesus wholeheartedly, unreservedly. At the end of a great performance man went forward to congratulate the great violinist saying that's amazing 
Your performance was world class. I've never heard anything like it. I would give everything to play like that. The violinist said, I did. You're called to influence people, folks. Jesus said in Mark 1.17, and this is my last point. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. They don't smell as bad as fish. Fishers of men. You're called to influence people. When you're following Jesus, you're called to influence people. Make a difference. Bill Hybels said this. Bill Hybels leads a large church in America. And he said, I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hands. A hand that had never been dirtied by service. And shake the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. The two greatest ways you can influence others is first that you can tell them about this love of God. You can tell them about this Jesus You can tell them about this good news in all the fumbling words you can find to say. It's not the easiest thing to explain, but it's so real. You can tell them. That would help them. Secondly, you can demonstrate true love. And whether they listen to your message or not, or whether they accept your religion or not, you love them with an unconditional love. You go the extra mile for people. You show love starting at home, working out into your community, at your workplace. You're not in it for you. You're in it for them. That's a powerful way of living You can make a difference with your life. Tony Campolo, a great speaker, tells a story. One day he was speaking at a Pentecostal Bible college in America. Before the service, they wanted to pray for him. So they laid hands on him, as Pentecostals do. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for God to bless him. And one particular guy who was praying there, he had this little thing in his mind. And and it was a bit frustrating to Tony Campolo. But he kept praying for this particular guy called Charlie Sfalthurst. And he prayed for this guy, Charlie Stoltz. Lord, I pray for Charlie Stoltz. You know Charlie Stoltz, Lord. He lives in the silver caravan just along the road. Tony Campolo's thinking, I'm about to preach. What are you going on about? Stop your praying. Just close it. I want to go and preach. And the guy kept going on. Lord, you know this guy. He lives in the silver caravan just along there to the right. And Tony Campolo's thinking, you you think God's saying, wait a minute, repeat that. Let me get that again. And this guy kept praying for this guy, Charlie Stoltz. Lord, today you know this guy, Charlie Stoltz. He said to me he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Today, Lord, please step in. Don't let him do this. God, you know this guy, Charlie Svaltz, just along the road in this silver caravan. Please, God, don't let him do that. Don't let him walk out on his wife and kids. It's, it's wrong. He shouldn't do it. Please, God, intervene. Don't let this happen. Tony Campbell, this was going on for ages. Tony Campbell was thinking, you better be praying for me because I'm about to preach. But this guy kept going on about this guy, Charlie Svaltz. Anyway, Tony Campbell that evening went up to speak. He did his normal talk and then he, he got in his car to leave. And as he was getting up onto the freeway on the slip roads, there was a guy hitchhiking. So he pulled over and took the hitchhiker. He got into the car, turned to him and said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? And he said, Hi, my name's Charlie Svaltz. And Tony Campolo said, I couldn't believe it. He drove to the next uh, slip road off the motorway. He turned off and rejoined the motorway on the reverse direction. The man turned to him and said, Where are you taking me, mister? And he said, I'm taking you home. And the man looked at him like this. He said, what do you mean? He said, you're Charlie's fault. Today you left your wife and three kids. I'm taking you home. And he said, okay, mister. Okay, okay. <laughs> Tony Campolo drove right up to the silver caravan. <laughs> the guy said, how did you know? How did you know? Tony Campolo said to him, God told me. <laughs> and I believe he did. I believe he did. And he went into the caravan with Charlie Svaltz, and there was his wife. She said, you're home, you're home, you came back. And he said, 
shh, honey, let me talk to you. And he takes her into the, the back room and then they come out and her eyes are like saucers. Tony Campolo says, sit down, you're going to listen, I'm going to talk to you. And that evening he helped them reconcile. That evening they made a commitment to follow Jesus. Today, Charlie Swartz is a minister in California, making a difference with his life. His marriage is whole, life is restored. You're here to make a difference. God, I believe, is longing to work through us into the lives of others. We look around our world and say, well, where is God in this suffering? Where is God in that heartache? I'll tell you where God is. God's wanting to work through his people. He's wanting to work through his people. He's entrusted this planet to human beings. And when human beings come under his kingship, his authority, we can become instruments for his blessing, for his love, coming in practical and in spiritual ways into the lives of many. That's your calling. That's your purpose. You thought you were just coming to church this morning. No, no. You're coming to Destiny Church. You're coming to hear about your purpose for life. And that's what it is. To live for him. To honor him with your life and to make a difference in the lives of others. Jesus calls us to follow him. Are you going to follow? Thanks, Jesus, so much. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You weren't just a man. We believe you are divine. You're amazing. We admire you so much. And Jesus, that same call to leave everything and follow you is the same call that we have today. And today, Lord, for the courageous amongst us, we rise to that call. Because God, at the end of the day, when our lives are over and we stand and in the light of eternity, we suddenly realize that that's a very, very small price to pay, making an absolute commitment to follow Jesus. Not to become a religious fanatic, not to become a strange, super spiritual Christian, but to be a genuine person who has a genuine faith that motivates the way they live. Lord, we thank you for that call. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't call for half-hearted commitment. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't come to start a religion. You came to pay the price for the sins of humanity and bring us back into a relationship with God Almighty. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Maybe some of you are here and you're saying, Peter, I've never committed my life to Jesus. I've never made that personal commitment to follow him. Well, I would like to give you the opportunity to do it just now. And it's very simple. If there's a hundred steps between you and God, God would take 99 of them, but he leaves the last one to you because he respects your free will. And the way that you connect with him today is that you very simply, you pray a prayer. You pray a prayer of commitment. You ask him to forgive you for all your sins. You leave your old life. You repent. You turn to follow him. You make a genuine commitment, a total commitment. Now, it might be that you make mistakes. It might be that you... You blow it every so often, but that doesn't mean you haven't made a commitment. Commitment means you pick yourself up again, you dust yourself down, and you get going again. And this is not a commitment to being part of this church, although you'd be welcome to, and it'd be a blessing for you, I'm sure. This commitment is to do between you and God. So if that's you today, and you would like to make that commitment, then I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. I don't want you to repeat it out loud. This is not about who he is. This is a commitment that you make from your heart before God. So if that's you today, pray this prayer just now. Pray, dear Lord God, I thank you that you love me with an eternal love. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you didn't just come and teach us good things. 
but you were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for me. I believe that you took my sins upon yourself on the cross. Right now, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. Give me a new start today, I pray. I leave my old life and I make a commitment to follow you. I make you the king of my life. I submit to your lordship. Jesus, I believe you're risen from the dead. And between now and the day I die, I commit to living for you and making a difference with my life, with your help, and to the best of my ability. Thanks for hearing my prayer, God. Thanks for forgiving me. Amen.